Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He's causing problems for his caucus, causing problems for this government, damaging relationships all over the place, and he needs to be reined in. And I've told everyone who uh, wants to ask me the question how I feel about Stephen Gibeau, and I'm very straight about that. I can think I can work with many of the other ministers, and I don't understand why they're allowing him to be a maverick and a renegade and a hypocrite. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith's voice is uh, the voice you just heard, and uh, the Premier appears on our chorus radio stations in Alberta, your province, your Premier, on Saturdays. Well, it's your country, and it's Alberta's Premier. On the Roy Green Show today, Premier, how are you? I'm well, Roy. How are you? I'm I'm fine. It's uh, it's great to hear your voice. I hear your washing machine's causing you problems. <laughs> yeah, I do this segment from my home office, and I have the washing machine in the background. I've been traveling for a couple of weeks, so I had to do some laundry today. I hope it doesn't interfere with our conversation. No, no, but we always know what you're doing. You know that we in media know everything, <laughs> as you well know. I know you do. As you well know. No, you know it from your years in media, right? I always said to people, look, when I ask you the question, presume I have the answer. But nobody ever followed that advice. But well, it's true. You got to tell it straight because people like, people can hear when you're not being sincere. That's one thing I learned in my years on the radio. Yeah, big time. On your program on Chorus Radio yesterday in Edmonton and in Calgary, let's start with the E. coli case. This is one that is so terribly, terribly disturbing. It's gotten it's getting tremendous attention. Across the country, 342 cases as of yesterday, 12 or 13 children, remain hospitalized. And um, would you just address that for us, please? What are your, what are your thoughts or plans? Well, I can tell you, I don't know that I have ever seen a case like this where so many instances were stemming from one, what appears to be one common kitchen. We're pleased to see that the numbers are stabilizing, which means we think that we have identified all of the cases of infection. And the number of hospitalization has actually gone down. So we're we're down to 11 kids in hospital and four on dialysis, which is just we're so grateful for that because it it, it, it means that the, the long term organ damage is is uh, likely mitigated for most kids. They're still going to have to be tested every year. I spoke I went to tour the the uh, area that they have for testing yesterday and talk to the doctor in charge and so she's she says we've learned a lot about how to treat this and if you can get there quickly and make sure that they've got the fluids and the saline and get them on dialysis that those who need it we can really mitigate the harm so they i have nothing but positive to say about the ahs response and the, and the response of the local docs at the children's hospital in particular um, we also are in the process of uh, doing a full review to understand where precisely this this contamination stem from all roads are pointing to this common kitchen but we have tested 45 different food products and so far nothing has come back with a positive so we still don't know precisely what food uh, product caused it or what handling practices caused it and we're going to continue that investigation we felt it was important though for us to be doing some uh, some press conferences so people understand this understood the state that we were at in the investigation the kitchen's been closed indefinitely the uh, the initial daycares have been cleared for reopening and uh, 621 kids have been cleared to return that means they've had two negative tests but we have unfortunately secondary infections that have occurred you know just playmates and uh, brothers and sisters and that kind of thing mm-hmm. i think uh, 26 pardon me 27 secondary infections so that resulted in a couple of partial closures of additional childcare centers so the message that we have is if your kids been involved in one of these facilities and have not been cleared for closure 
just be careful when they're uh, about making sure that they aren't playing with other kids until they are cleared. Don't put them into another daycare causing these kind of secondary problems. We just have to make sure that we contain this. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, you also said something about, I believe, on Alberta Chorus Radio, that uh, food handling courses might be necessary. Yeah? Yeah, well, I'm, I have to tell you, because you know I've been in the restaurant business, and I had to have a pro-serve course. I wasn't allowed to serve a beer to anybody without having a pro-serve. Uh, it's about an eight-hour course you take online. It costs $25. And yet in the food handling, the food safe program, which we have available, uh, apparently only only one person in the kitchen, the supervisor, is required to have that. In other jurisdictions, everyone has to have the food safe training. So I, I think if we bring the price down, I, I th- and I want to talk to the restaurant business about this, but it seems very reasonable to me that anybody who's involved in handling food, des- delivering food to the public, they need to know what safe temperature is, what it has to be brought up to to, to clear and kill pathogens, what happens when food cools down, the danger zones for when it starts cooling, what you have to do when it cools and how to reheat again, how to store at low temperatures, at high temperatures. This is just very basic information you need to have if you're serving the public. And I'm of the view, having having seen this myself and um, and knowing the, the, the kind of practices that, that take place in other jurisdictions, I think that this is going to have to be a minimum requirement. But I've also heard, and I think this happens in Toronto, is that the most recent food inspection report for a kitchen has to be posted and available at the restaurant. And so I don't think that that's unreasonable either. The number of parents who told me, I mean, it's difficult to know. Where do you go online to find a particular restaurant's most recent inspection report? I don't know that that's very easy for people. We may have to make that easier too. So those are a couple of the initial things that I'm I'm thinking we have to implement immediately, but we're still consulting to find out if there are more things that, that uh, parents would expect and the comfort for their comfort and what uh, the public would expect for their comfort as well. Okay, so as reluctant as I am to bring the minister we heard you talk about on the clip that we played at the beginning, Monsieur Gilbol, as reluctant as I am, Premier, I'm going to do it. Uh, the uh, first meeting of the Alberta-Ottawa Working Group on Emissions Reduction and Energy Development has taken place, and you uh, you tweeted on that. How do you work with Stephen Gilbo and his ministry. How do you work with them? Because, look, the parliamentary budget officer was on this program uh, about a month or two ago and talked about his report on the, uh, on the clean energy uh, initiative that Gilbo's introduced. And he pointed to the fact that this, this initiative of Mr. Gilbo is going to harm the people who can least afford to be harmed economically in Canada. And for that, he was chastised and castigated by Gilbo and Gilbo's associates. But as the PBO pointed out to us, I got all that information he said. Well, I got all the information from the ministry. I was, it took the, minute, the information they gave me, and I worked on it. That we got the, the report was put together based on what we got from the ministry. How do you work with the uh, environment ministry and the minister? How do you do that? Well, Knowing how you feel about it. Let me tell you who I can work with. I've met with Jonathan Wilkinson, and he, fortunately, it's his ministry that's taking the lead on our working group. Mm-hmm. And there's some very practical people at the table. What I, what I like about Jonathan Wilkinson is he drives a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, which I think is going to be central to us building out our net zero vehicles in Alberta. So I think we have some common ground 
on a number of issues. And he comes from Saskatchewan too. So I think he understands the prairies and uh, we've been very, we've been having very constructive conversations. Um, I can work with Dominic LeBlanc as well. He's probably one of the most likable liberal ministers I've ever met. And he is also, I think, very practical. You have to remember LeBlanc comes from New Brunswick and New Mm -hmm. Brunswick is in just as much of a pickle as we are in getting to a net zero power grid. Um, Champagne as well. I can tell you, Minister Champagne is very enthusiastic about the net zero projects happening in our province and has been a funding partner on the Dow Chemical, uh, net zero petrochemical air products, hydrogen. Uh, So I I think we can work with him. Christian Freeland, my goodness. I mean, she has done a lot of work to try to get Trans Mountain to the finish line and funding that because it keeps on having hiccups as well as having the uh, carbon capture tax credit. We've been working with her too. And even um, Prime Minister Trudeau, he and I have talked at length about small modular nuclear and how we can uh, come together on on that as well. So I wouldn't want to characterize our relationship as being uniformly negative, but I don't think it's an overstatement to say that Environment Minister Stephen Gibault is a lot of the reason why the Liberals are polling at 26% in the polls right yeah. now and losing ground all across the country, but particularly I, with young people. In my conversations when, with you in the past, I haven't heard uh, that kind of positive tone about the uh, federal Liberals individually or collectively. Uh, is the situation improving? And, and, and you're holding fast with saying, look, uh, we'll look uh, to create a carbon neutral power grid by 2050. This is all you tweeted, but remain opposed to the federal 2035 net zero power grid timeline. There you have Mr. Gilboy in play. Correct. Right? Yeah. This is why I'm very frustrated to see that we can have such a constructive relationship on so many fronts with uh, many ministers. And yet there are Allowing, as I mentioned in that clip, Stephen Gabot to be a renegade and a maverick and a hypocrite. When you when you've got a, a minister like him who is a part of China's uh, committee looking at carbon reductions and they fund Extinction Rebellion. I mean, those are the crazy people who glue themselves to to roads and buses. And then you also have China saying they have no intention of meeting net zero until 2060. And you have China building the equivalent of two new coal plants a week while he's grinding our gears in Alberta when we're more in sync with what the federal government wants to do. I just don't understand the dynamics there. That's why I've been very harsh saying that Gibo's causing problems. He's wrecking relationships all over this country. And he's making housing unaffordable. He's making food unaffordable. I just can't understand why his colleagues don't understand that it's his aggressiveness in pushing everything from a net zero power grid by 2035 to no more combustion engine vehicles being sold after 2035 to net zero housing by 2035, that those accelerated timeframes is what's driving up the cost of everything because it's creating investor uncertainty. And when businesses don't invest, you end up with sh- supply shortages. When you've got su- supply yeah. shortages, you end up with prices going up. So I think all all roads lead to his bad policy, and I'm I'm not afraid to say it. Well, but Premier, he's either working independently as a renegade, or he has the backing of the prime minister. It's got to be one or the other, no? Correct. That's why I'm still trying to sort it out because we are. I should, I do, uh, and I, I can do help have you with that. A lot of optimism that we have a good constructive plan for how we're going to be in sync on a carbon neutrality by 2050 target. Mm-hmm. But we have made it pretty clear to everybody at the table that let's let's not be rash and bring through definitive new legislation while we're going through this process. Otherwise, we'll look at that as a measure of bad faith or a negotiation. We're entering this in good faith, as you can tell from mm-hmm. what I've said. Yeah. And we're hoping that the federal government pursues it with the same spirit. But I can tell you, Stephen Gibault, he's not helping. 
Okay. Premier, uh, you tweeted, I've I've just been following your tweets uh, for a little while here. I'm committed to standing alongside Alberta in ensuring the continued prosperity of our oil and natural gas sector. This involves actively pursuing strategies to reduce emissions while encouraging the world to adopt cleaner LNG energy. Makes absolute sense to me and I think to most people in this country, but uh, some of the aforementioned people, two of them anyway, Mr. Gibault and Mr. Trudeau, they can't sign on to the LNG issue. This is massively uh, painful, punitive to our national economy, to our national well-being, that they won't do that. What do you think your prospects are of creating some sort of cooperative agreement with them on that? Well, I'll find out because we have the World Petroleum Congress in Calgary over the next week. And Jonathan Wilkinson is going to be here having a minister's uh, uh, reception, uh, having people from around the world come here, talking up our prospects for continuing to develop an energy source that is going to make sure that we address issues of energy security and affordability, but also get to net zero. Net zero is the theme of this conference. So I'm hoping that he can be persuaded. One of the the pieces of information we came up with when Stephen Gibo was visiting China is it would have been super nice to have him go there and say, hey, guess what? If you could replace your coal plants with clean LNG from Canada, even if we did that for just 20% of the coal plants in China, that would completely eliminate the and offset all of the emissions that we produce in Canada for the entire country. So that's why LNG export and getting credit for it is really important. If we want to reduce global emissions, there's an interim step of making sure that we're reducing the amount of coal-fired electricity. And then in on top of that, doing what we're doing in Alberta, which is developing carbon capture technology so we can capture its source and either sequester it or turn it into useful products. We're at the infancy of that technology, but we're already well ahead in Alberta. We've already stored uh, millions of tons of CO2 underground safely. And then the development of a, a hydrogen economy, which I'm very keen about. I got a chance to drive a, a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle over the summer. And there's a a consortium of businesses in Alberta that have started a 5,000 vehicle challenge. We want to get to 5,000 net zero hydrogen vehicles in uh, in as quickly as we possibly can Mm -hmm. to start building out that that infrastructure. That, I think, is another important way that we can find some common cause. And then the small modular nuclear. I know that um, uh, Blaine Higgs... New Brunswick Premier sending out his energy minister to Alberta next week. We've also had energy ministers get together and talk with Ontario about how we might be able to leverage their rollout of small modular nuclear at the Darlington plant in in Ontario, as Mm -hmm. well as at the site in New Brunswick, so that we can develop similar protocols in Alberta so that we can get those rolled out as well. So those are the things that I think are going to help decarbonize in a very significant way and still allow us to use all the benefit that we get from oil and natural gas. I think people forget that there's other uses to oil and natural gas besides combustion. You can also use it for petrochemicals. You can use it for um, lubricants. You can use it for building materials. There's actually 6,000 different products. Well, we can't do without it. We can't do without it now. The world cannot, there's a, you know, the, the definition of the word transition is fairly clear. It's not instant. It takes time. And it's called a transition for that reason. Premier, what about the, uh, you tweeted this, just when we've all had enough of the carbon tax. <laughs> Ottawa has decided to introduce a new tax on homes. New homes bu- uh, bill, new home builds would cost at least $35,000 more for families in Alberta, 71000 in Ontario, due to the new green requirements. What are you going to do? Well, I spoke with Build Alberta, that's our industry association, on Saturday. And I said, let's develop a new pathway 
for how we get to net zero. There's a community in Alberta that is looking at how they can use hydrogen in as a, a fuel source so that rather so that you can still have gas-fired appliances and gas-fired uh, um, home heating and gas-fired furnaces. And I'm really excited about that potential because if you can use hydrogen, sequester the CO2 and be at zero emissions that way, why wouldn't we pursue that? So I think that the problem is the federal government has got themselves locked in to a particular paradigm that's simply not going to work. Their, their paradigm is everything should be wind and solar and battery power or hydroelectric for those places that have it. And everything should be on the power grid, not just your electricity, but all industrial mm-hmm. products, all your transportation, all of your home heating. And I think we're just seeing what, with the tragedy that's happening in Nova Scotia about why we need to have redundant systems. I'm, I'm reading that there's tens of thousands of people without electricity. Yeah. You need to be able to rebuild when things go wrong. And there's lots of catastrophes that happen. We've had fires, we've had floods, we've had we've had tornadoes, we've had ice storms. And so I'm just not prepared to accept the, the federal paradigm. I, I think that we've got to develop multiple different sources. And Homes is a prime example. They, okay. If we pursued their model of net zero, Build says that it would actually, in our province, cost seventy to eighty thousand dollars per home. I have to stop you. I have to stop you. I've never heard you this calm about Ottawa before. This is new, Premier Daniel Smith. If you want to hear more, subscribe to the Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. Stack TV.